Eastern District of Texas, about the, the dueling rulings. District of Texas, or the Eastern District of Washington, or whatever district court in any state has the power to issue nationwide injunctions. It has been criticized as a practice, but it is something that federal judges are permitted to do. So whether we like that or not, and I don't think we like that, but that is something that they are permitted to do. Um, but just so you know, that is a power that they have. Um, another piece of information about Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, um, he's the only judge, and Popak, correct me if I'm wrong here, who sits in this specific division within this district in the Northern you're, District of you're, Texas. You're 95% right. Every 95% of the cases in Amarillo, Texas division get assigned to Kaczmarek. I think there's one senior status judge it takes a very small amount. So you got a 95% hit rate if you're trying to forum shop and place your case in front of Kaczmarek. And so by forum shopping, that means exactly what it sounds, right? Like if you are a right-wing group that wants to make sure a woman can control her body, what you do is you shop your case, literally. File your case in this one area where pretty much you know you're going to get Judge Kaczmarek. And Judge Kaczmarek has a history of saying some of the most despicable things about LGBTQ plus people. Um, he is stridently opposed to women having control over their bodies. He is, he is handmaid's tale extreme and he is someone who Trump appointed and the right wing uh, senators pushed through to uh, a confirmation. And so this case went before him. Um, we've been here. We need to purge these activist judges from our criminal justice system. Exclamation point. As your president system exclamation point as your president as your president comma I would demand the resignations of all those Trump judges hundreds of activist Trump judges hundreds of activist Trump judges many totally unqualified Many totally unqualified, even by the lawyers associations themselves. Legal association that certifies these things. That certifies these things. Exclamation point. It says we need to purge these activist judges from our criminal justice system. As your president, I would demand the resignation of all those Trump judges, hundreds of activist Trump judges, many totally unqualified even by the legal association. That certifies them. ...about the oral arguments, and it was kind of fait accompli, right? We, we almost knew the outcome once this case was brought before this judge. 
and on Friday we got the ruling that he ruled that statute of limitations, the further findings of its efficacy overcome. And as more kind of generic drugs were brought to the market later and further approvals were made, because over the years more science has developed the efficacy of the drug and how safe it is. Well, Judge Kaczmarek basically used that to toll or continue the statute of limitations to basically say, that's why I can go back to 2000 to block the FDA, because the FDA also talked about this in 2017 and 2019 and 2021. But the but I want to go back to what they did in 2000, and I'm going to say that that was arbitrary and capricious administrative rulemaking. So me, the judge, I'm going to substitute my knowledge for the actions of an administrative agency, the FDA, and their rulemaking procedures, and why. And this part of the analysis, Popak, I don't think has really been discussed anywhere, because you really got to get into the 67-page order uh, to see it. But this is basically what the analysis hinges on when he's saying that the FDA acted arbitrarily and capriciously in 2000 for uh, approving this drug. And this is the portion right here where in the order it goes, when the FDA originally approved it, the agency relied upon subpart H to place certain restrictions on the manufacturer's distribution of the drug product to assure its safe use. Thus, to satisfy Part H, FDA deemed pregnancy a serious or life-threatening illness and concluded that mifepristone provided meaningful therapeutic benefit to patients over existing treatments because the FDA characterized pregnancy as being something that is serious or life-threatening. And then the judge goes, but pregnancy is not that. The judge, this male judge, goes, pregnancy is just a normal physiological state most women experience one or more times during their child-bearing years. And on that basis, the judge said, FDA should not have made this rule to satisfy this subpart H because pregnancies, they're just normal physiological things that women have to go through, and they are not serious uh, physical conditions. And, and on that basis, you know, the, the analysis gets a little more developed than that, but the court basically says it's arbitrary and capricious, um, so I am not, we're going to rule that when the FDA put forward that rule, they didn't have the power to do it, thus blocking it. But Popak, it didn't end there. Then there was a, a ruling from the judge from the Eastern District of Washington. So can you talk about these conflicting rulings now yeah. and what it means? Well, let me start back with Cosmeric for a minute and the forum shopping that's going on. The Department of Justice has called this out and has actually filed motions in front of Cosmeric to argue there is no good reason why cases like the medicated abortion case is in front of a Texas judge in Amarillo. For example, 
Um, uh, basically, abortion is outlawed in the state of Texas by SB8. I mean, it's down to like six weeks or less. Um, the, the plaintiff here, which is this made-up entity called the Alliance of Hippocratic Medicine, a doctor near Amarillo who says his practice of medicine will somehow be impacted by the ruling. He lives in a state and operates in a state where they don't even allow the pills. They don't allow the abortion pills and they don't allow abortion. So why are we in Amarillo? Why aren't we in Maryland where the FDA sits? Or why aren't we at least somewhere where the abortion pills are dispensed? Why? Because there is a friendly judge sitting at Amarillo where you have a 95% chance of getting him. The judge should never have taken this case. It should have been removed from his courtroom, but he doesn't want it. He wants the case. He wants to do policymaking, which is really for Congress to do, not for judges to do. And he wants to do it in the areas of women's rights, LGBTQ+, um, all the things that he was against when he was um, the general counsel for a super right-wing entity called the First Liberty Institute, which got on the on the uh, on the uh, hit parade, the claim to fame, because they're the ones that opposed Obamacare having an, a uh, a right of a woman to get contraception care. They wanted that removed. From Obamacare, and he's been on the wrong side of a number of decisions at the Supreme Court level who have slapped him back and said, you shouldn't even have made these rulings. There's even a very good argument, Ben, that will come up on the appeal. I'll talk about that next when I talk about the Washington state ruling that happened four hours after his ruling, is that in order to find that there is um, that there is a live controversy or a case that's appropriately before a U.S. Constitution Article Three federal judge, the, the, the first the first key into the courthouse, the first ticket into the courthouse, you got to have standing. you got to have an injury that's personal to you, that's different than the general public. What injury does a doctor sitting near Amarillo, Texas, in a state where there's no abortion allowed and no pills are being distributed, have to be able to bring this case? doesn't matter to Kazmarek, because Kazmarek is just looking for any case to come before him so he can make these social policy religious infused rulings and then yeah, bind the whole country at a national judge. band and and, and, and all the women vacated. related to it yeah and in order to do that he not only had to ignore the proper rulemaking 20 years ago by the uh, sda but he'd have to ignore uh, as the new york times reported um, really good reporting by amy walker malika karana and ashley Wu. There's been over 100 scientific studies in 26 countries involving 124,000 medicated abortions. And they have found that in 99% of the cases, there are no serious complications. And in the course of the difference between childbirth, which Judge Kaczmarek said, you just pointed out, says it's just an ordinary normal thing that women do during their childbearing years, there is a higher risk of death in childbirth by four times than there is in medicated pregnancy using these pills. The chance of death in a medicated, uh, a medicated uh, abortion is 0.31%, it's 1.4% if you're, if you're having a baby, if you will. Out of the entire history of the use of these pills, from 2000 until 2022, which was the last time, there have been 5.6 million women, because these pills, medicated abortion, 57% of the time is the is the method of choice for women to use for abortion. 
okay, not going to a clinic. In, in those 5.6 million cases in 22 years, there were 28 deaths. It's terrible for the families of those 28 people, but statistically, it's 0.005%. Viagra is more dangerous. Tylenol is more dangerous. This is the drug that the judge has decided needs to be banned nationwide from women to use. So, what, so he sits in the Fifth Circuit, which you and I have talked a lot about. That sits generally in New Orleans. That covers Texas. It is right-wing MAGA conservative. Some of the wackiest, craziest rulings come out of the Fifth Circuit. So the appeal that the, that the uh, Department of Justice says they are going to take is going to have to probably, I'll give you another example of another creative way, probably have to go to the Fifth Circuit first take another loss there, and then an appeal to the Supreme Court. But the one wrinkle here is, there is Washington State, which sits in the Ninth Circuit, which is the circuit that California also sits in. That judge said, not on my watch. In fact, I'm ordering in a 17-state um, injunction, a mandatory injunction, that the FDA continue to authorize, and, and it would be illegal under the, that order for them to stop um, uh, distributing uh, mefepristone and the sec basically what's called the second drug in the two-drug requirement for medicated abortions. So now you've got this competing district court judges. You don't have a competing split of the circuits, as we like to say, because the Ninth Circuit hasn't ruled yet and the Fifth Circuit hasn't ruled yet. If they were to rule, it's an automatic get to the Supreme Court for a ruling. But there is an ability to sort of try to skip the Fifth Circuit and even the Ninth Circuit and try to take an emergency appeal to this Supreme Court. The problem with that is it could be shot back to them as it was in SBA in the, the Department of Justice's attempt to reverse the bounty hunter law that stopped abortion basically in the state of Texas, and that didn't work for them there. And they've already, having gone through SB8 and the Dobbs decision, and they know that Alito seems to be the moral, uh, the, the moral power on that court, and I'll talk about Alito in a minute, I'm not sure they think they got the numbers on the court. They're going to take the appeal anyway. They're going to set this case up. But I think the Department of Justice is, is a little bit nervous, uh, and that's an understatement, about what will happen at the Supreme Court on this ruling if they say, well, abortion is abortion, and there's no constitutional right to abortion, so uh, I don't know what the FDA is doing handing out abortion drugs. That could be the way that Supreme Court goes. Alito is, again, the kingmaker here. Um, Another, as you like to say, another white guy who can't produce a baby making decisions for women in their bodily autonomy. He is the uh, circuit court judge that, is, that sits over and is responsible for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So any uh, uh, emergency appeal to the Supreme Court would first go to Sam Alito, who could either make the decision on his own, thumbs up or thumbs down, or given all of the recent... Um, attacks on on the secret docket and the shadow docket he could he could instead decide and he probably will in this scenario to turn it over to the full panel with full briefing of all nine justices on some sort of track and maybe keep the orders in place although they're competing he's going to have to choose well he doesn't have to choose because he's only fifth circuit ninth circuit is one of the 
Democratic appointed justices. So we're going to have to watch and play this out. This is going to move kind of quickly. You and I and Karen are going to have to do hot takes, keep everybody apprised of how rapidly these appeals are going to go. Because right now, women in America, where the where the uh, uh, the approach of choice is this uh, combination of drugs, 57% of the time, right now, they, their pharmacists and their doctors and mail order companies don't know what to do. At this moment, there is a woman who would like to use that, that set of pills, but probably cannot because of what Kazmarek did last night and then Washington trying to bail it out with a ruling that seems to be completely counter to it, that the Department of Justice is still trying to unpack how these two things come together and what their appeal should look like. I mean, in uh, Justice Samuel Alito, he wrote the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. He then gave speeches internationally bragging about it and joking about taking away a woman's right to uh, abortion care. Uh, this is the individual who will be making the decision. This will ultimately go before the United States Supreme Court. And Popak, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see how this current radical right composition that just overturned Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision. They are now going to, they've seen the backlash, but frankly, they don't care. They don't care. You know, and, and, and I was thinking about this, and I think this is a good segue into this, into this final segment on Justice Clarence Thomas here. You know, I, I had mentioned this on the Lights On podcast that I do with Jessica Denson, and I said, let's let's propose this hypothetical because we've talked about here. You mentioned earlier that in many cases, uh, certain state court judges, um, usually in state court justice judges systems, those judges are elected. Right, federal judges are appointed uh, to lifetime appointments under Article Three. Yeah, state court judges um, are appointed, um, but then also there are state court judges who run for election. It's, it's different in each state. Um, but sometimes they're appointed and then they have to run in the next term. Sometimes they just More have to run in general. It, it, just, it just depends on, on, on the state and the, and the timing of it. But for example, like in the Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court race, Janet Protasiewicz, who beat the MAGA Republican candidate, um, turning the balance of power to a Democratic-controlled Wisconsin Supreme Court for the first time in 15 years. And one of the things that Janet Protasiewicz ran on, Democratic back candidate, was a woman should control her own body. And that obviously resonated with the voters. And she won by over 10 points in that race against the MAGA Republican Dan Kelly, who gave the most pathetic non-concession concession speech and basically said, my opponent doesn't even deserve the dignity of this, con this concession speech, just completely empathetic. But, but think about this for a second. Federal judges who are appointed by um, presidents and they're confirmed by the Senate who have lifetime appointments, um, what if they had to run for election? Maybe okay. they should have mandatory If you had a nationwide election for United States Supreme Court justices, do you think any, any of the right-wing justices would win their seat? I could guarantee you with 100% accuracy that if you gave the entire country gets to vote, you know, we're not talking about gerrymandered this, there would be a 9-0 decision that a woman should have the right to control her body. You would have 9-0 decisions that there should be common sense 
uh, gun control, common sense gun control. You would have 9 to 0 decisions on all of these cases, right? And so you have to think about it because um, it, it, it's not a both sides issue. Like, let's just face it. Like, I, I try not to make this show like a political show, but I don't think these issues are political. Like, we're talking about human decency. We're talking about compassion. We're talking about yeah. an ability of a woman to control her body. Like, that's that shouldn't be a politicized issue. I know MAGA Republicans want to politicize freaking everything, including you mentioned the J6 choir, you know, with these terrorists who are in prison singing freaking songs with MAGA Republicans, which is utterly ridiculous, but it's not a both sides issue. Imagine for a second if any of the democratic appointed members of the supreme court were out having a ham sandwich with george soros were out there <laughs> having you know co uh, you know coffee with george soros you know not receiving millions of dollars in gifts like uh the maga republicans um are, are are apparently okay with clarence thomas um getting just imagine for a second that took place because the reporting that we have this week and this is just completely utterly despicable this right-wing donor harlan crow who by the way um he like inherited it's all his Nazi money garden. harlan crow is you know it's, it's it's not like harlan crow is like some you know monumental real estate mogul i think he got all his money from his dad and his grandpa um that he's sounds not, familiar just so you know, he's got in his house, he's got, and, I, and I, I, he's one of the biggest Adolf Hitler collectors. So he has Adolf Hitler's paintings, original Adolf Hitler paintings. He's got statues of Hitler everywhere. He's got Nazi memorabilia, including Adolf Hitler's teapot engraved with swastika or Hitler initials in his house. Just I want to give you the, you know, this part really hasn't been reported about who Harlan Crow is, but he's the biggest Adolf Hitler collector, I think, in the world. Well, um, this is the individual who gave millions of dollars in gifts to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, putting him on his yacht, the uh, Michaela yacht. They would take trips to Indonesia, the Greek islands every single summer go on this big uh, private jet where, like, the cost of the private jet travel alone to take these international trips would be, you know, several hundred thousand dollars each way. Um, the yacht with private chefs and these retreats at these camps that were owned by uh, that were owned by Harlan Crow. And by the way, at these camps, you know, who were the types of people who were present? Leonard Leo, the head of the Federalist Society, Mark Paletto, who was in the Trump administration, who was the general counsel uh, to the Office of Management and Budget, who was one of these people who serves as basically the kind of talking head for the Supreme Court, saying that there shouldn't be any types of, like, ethical checks and balances on on what they do that's the photograph so for those watching on youtube that's the photograph in this camp top ridge in the adirondacks which is owned by harlan crow where he would bring all of his buddies including uh clarence thomas like the head of the federalist society leonard leo and mark paletta and all of these people and they would you know according to harlan crow 
never sought any uh, to influence anything at all. Never, never, never even sought to uh, talk about any judicial opinions or or anything like that. He's just a, a very good friend of mine, Clarence Thomas. Then Clarence Thomas would go around wearing these shirts that have all of the yacht trips that he went on over the past two decades. Now Clarence Thomas's response to this, Popak is that he thought this was legal, even though on the disclosure forms, where you're supposed to check if there's a gift or no gift, um, and you have to disclose gifts, it's a crime if you're a federal judge um, and you don't disclose gifts. So we have the the actual disclosure form right there of Clarence Thomas where it says gifts, and it is none. He checks none on each and every one of these over the years. He said, well, I believe, and by the way, it's a crime to lie on those federal forms. Uh, Clarence Thomas said, I just thought that it was Sergeant. hospitality. I, I didn't think that hospitality Hello. really was a gift, a and crime. I thought that Why this was perfectly it? legal. Okay, this is a judge? <laughs> yeah, Supreme Court judge. Can't get rid of somebody for This is a person who's taken away a woman's right to control our body? Yeah. This is a person who is allowing weapons yeah, of war lie. to proliferate on our streets? This is a judge... That type of judgment is is with someone who's on the highest court. And by the way, yeah. this is not a both sides yeah. issue, Popak. This is not, you're not seeing the Democratic-backed Supreme Court judges out there taking these types of lavish trips. By the way, it's not unique to Justice Clarence Thomas, right? We know, for example, through a whistleblower who gave testimony when actual real oversight committee hearings were being held by the Democrats in the last term. Remember this person from Faith in Action, a, a reverend who was basically engaged in a oper an influence operation over the Supreme Court who <laughs> talked about how they learned about the opinions before they would come out because they befriended people like, like Alito and lavished like Alito with gifts and all of these things um, and spoke in front of Congress. And, and then what was the MAGA Republicans' response? Well, you have people like Jim Jordan roll up their sleeves and say, you're a liar, you're a liar, without, okay, really? For three decades, this individual, this reverend who was fighting for you know, these, you know, to, to, to take away a woman's right to control her body. He was, what, a part of a three-decade op to now expose the truth after he finally realized, whoa, what the hell is going on here? So anyway, Popak, let me throw it to you, but, I mean, you don't get, you know, when these decisions are being made, they're being made by people like Justice Clarence Thomas, people like Justice Alito, and it's not both sides. It's coming from one side. The people are fed up. The people the people aren't taking this anymore, and Americans are realizing what's happening there. Oh, and by the way, you know, they go and do their same tricks again, right? Like, the billionaire boys clubs goes to their billionaire buddies, and so, what's the story today that's going on in the Wall Street Journal? I kid you not, Popot, this is actually a story in the Wall Street Journal from today, where they say, um, because the story about Clarence Thomas, uh, ProPublica, broke the piece. And this is the an op-ed by the Wall Street Journal trying to trash ProPublica. And it says, this ProPublica piece is loaded with words and phrases <laughs> intended to convey that this is 
all somehow disreputable words like super yacht, luxury trips, <laughs> exclusive California all-male retreats, sprawling ranch, private chefs, elegant accommodations, opulent lodge, lavishing the justice with gifts, and more. Adjectival overkill, adjectival overkill is the method of bad polemicists who don't have much to report. The ProPublica writers suggest that Justice Thomas may have violated ethical rules and they quote a couple of cherry-picked ethicists to express their dismay, right? Here's the trick. The Billion Dollar Boys Club, what do they all do? They all go right back. They all go right back to their billionaire friends to write these ridiculous articles. Popak, what do you think? I think um, ah. I think Clarence Thomas has a big problem, but and uh-huh. I don't think his apology is going to make up for it. Let me just explain to everybody that all federal employees, forget, forget about judges, because we have a lawless United States Supreme Court, because we have a lawless chief judge, Chief Justice Roberts, who refuses in the last 12 years or so to impose on the rest of his members of the Supreme Court a rule of ethics. Every lawyer, every judge in America, except for the nine that sit on the Supreme Court, are bound by rules of judicial conduct or professional conduct. That's our profession. That's the one that you and I join, Ben, except for one, the Supreme Court. John Roberts, uh, as an apologist for his own bad behavior, says, we're guided by it, but we don't want to have it imposed on us. So he doesn't. And then that leads to problems like we can't point to a rule of judicial conduct that he that Clarence Thomas has violated because they don't apply to him or to anybody else. And now you're left with that. But there is a way for the government to police these types of things by remembering that while they're judges, they also draw a paycheck and they're federal employees, just like you know, yeah. uh, the maintenance staff down the hallway, they're federal employees right. too. And there are rules that apply to Clarence Thomas and everybody else about disclosure of gifts. Yeah. There were until recently, I mean recently in the month of March, some loopholes about what you did or didn't have to disclose if you were just being wined and dined in somebody's property even for weeks at a time. Maybe that extended to a yacht. Maybe that extended to a to a G5 jet or whatever Harlan Crow has. I don't think it would, but that was the only place that you didn't have to disclose it. If he gave you a gift, which he did, Harlan Crow paid for a vanity project of a documentary on on Clarence Thomas, which get this, Clarence Thomas looked the camera in the eye, even though he knows he's been lavished, millions of dollars of gifts have been lavished on him and all sorts of exotic travel. It sounds like it's out of the next season of White Lotus on him and Ginny Thomas by this right-wing MAGA neo-Nazi collector guy, um, obviously trying to influence the decisions that Clarence Thomas makes on the court. Um, He looked the camera in the eye and he said, I'm just a poor boy from the South and I'd rather, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty close, I'd rather be in RV parks and parking Walmart parking lots and and, and explore America than go anyplace else. Really, every year you take an exotic trip that's worth a half a million dollars a year, okay? 10 times, 20 times what the average American makes. You, You are, it's lavished on you for a trip with you and your wife with Harlan Crow. And 
and the Federalist Society people and MAGA and everybody else that's around you. Now, there's been there's been attempts by the Senate, which really controls more than the House, really controls the purse strings over federal courts, including the Supreme Court. And Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, Democrat out of Rhode Island, especially Chris Murphy out of Connecticut. Chris Murphy has offered every year for 10 years the same ethics law to be applied to the Supreme Court. It gets shot down, even when the Democrats are in charge, year after year after year. But give him credit every year for 10 years then. But Sheldon Whitehouse supervises by way of a committee that's under Dick Durbin and all in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and the Financial Disclosure and the Judicial Conference of the United States on uh, the Committee on Financial Disclosure just two weeks ago changed the laws that will now require the very disclosure that is now required um, uh, that uh, with, uh, for next year, this summer's trip, it looks like Clarence Thomas is now going to have to disclose it, and there's not going to be any uh, mealy mouth explanation that he got guidance from other colleagues in years past, and that's why all those uh, questionnaires that you put up on the screen were blank. He's not going to be able to get away with that now. He's going to have to list it uh, because these rules do apply to the Supreme Court members. There is a crime that we could talk about, and then impeachment I want to briefly touch on. 5 U.S.C. 7353 says that a judicial officer shall not solicit or accept anything of value from a person who has business before the court. So, look, Ginny Thomas has all of these MAGA foundations and think tanks that she has founded or she sits on the board of who then gins up these lawsuits because she goes out and finds the plaintiffs in order to change policy in their direction and puts those cases directly in front of um, her husband and files amicus briefs uh, or her organization does in front of Clarence Thomas in which he never sees a reason to disqualify or uh, recuse himself at all. But there is a crime, if you can connect the dots. I don't think we're going to see the prosecution of Clarence Thomas, although we would all take special delight in that. And for those that want the impeachment, and I know AOC has been very public about it, here's the problem with impeachment. It, it, it's called, you have to count, and you have to come up with the numbers. In order to impeach, and all impeachments have to start in the House. That's the prosecutors for the impeachment process. The court and the judges is the Senate. So articles of impeachment is the first step. In order to get articles, uh, articles of impeachment, you got to have the majority in the, in the House. And the Democrats don't have the majority in the House at present. Maybe well, 2024, but not at present. So we're not going to see articles on, of man. impeachment. They may be you offered. AOC or some other anyway. uh, representative may, may draw up It'll articles of impeachment. Just the way Marjorie Taylor Greene's constantly trying to impeach Joe Biden for no reason. But it's not going to get through that process. And even if it got through that process, Ben, and and there was an impeachment of Clarence Thomas for any of these things, it'd have to go to the Senate. And even though we have, the Democrats have the numbers in the Senate, it would take 67 or two-thirds of the senators, 67 senators would have to vote to convict. We've only got 51 votes. So we'd have to get like Maybe. More than a dozen, like 16 Republicans to cross over and, and convict Clarence Thomas. Not happening. But, look, 
if what if what is is shining a light as you like to say the best antiseptic is sunshine if that is creating a world where now clarence thomas has to look over his shoulder and disclose his close relationship with the neo-nazi collector memorabilia collector harling crow and and everybody else has to worry hmm i wonder who i'm going on vacation with next summer this is all a good thing a lot of stuff is coming out this year for instance, not just through ProPublica, Pro which did a great, great job. They didn't just talk to three people to corroborate a story about Help. these lavish uh, uh, trips. They talked to 20 Help. people, 30 people, the Help. crew on the plane, the crew on the yachts, the crew in the hotels, the crew in Adirondack. I mean, they, they really did their they really did their job there. But look at all the other stuff then that's coming out that that uh, there's been an undisclosed relationship between Michael Chertoff's law firm and the Supreme Court for years, where they where he's been consulting on their behalf, even though he, the, the Chief Justice goes out to Michael Chertoff to supposedly give independent advice on things. We find out about all of these incestuous relationships because at the end of the day, the Supreme Court is a business. They try to act like, you know, they're in an ivy tower, you know, an ivory tower, and um, they can't be touched, and they're and they're um, infallible, but they're not. They're human beings that serve on boards and used to be Catholic law professors and have opinions. And when they're out of the country, like Sam Alito, and you mentioned it earlier, can say things like, "Wasn't it great that I ripped away a woman's right to choose?" And he cracked a joke because he thought only the foreign press was present and everybody else wasn't. But look at all the things that are coming out now to really cast the Supreme Court in a proper light and put some uh, and put some um, uh, sunshine on them so that we can properly police their conduct and their behavior. Because all these federal judges, from Kazmarek, who we talked about today, to Clarence Thomas at the end of this podcast, are all protected by lifetime appointments. Okay, they're on there until, you know, even when they go senior status, until they're dead. Okay, and it's very difficult to get to get rid of one. There's only been one Supreme Court justice in the history of America that's ever been impeached, and it was back in the 1800s. There's only been 15 federal judges who have been impeached, and most of them have not been convicted. And the Supreme Court justice impeached wasn't even convicted. So we can't look to that avenue. We've got to use the First Shame Amendment him. reporting, investigative reporting, might have touched network, talking about these things hourly, daily, weekly, and bringing it to our listeners and followers so they can make educated decisions. Because what you're saying is, in theory, an impeachment could happen. However, the numbers aren't there, not because of both sides' Shame. issues, but because not only do you have a lawless Supreme Court, not on both sides, on the six justices who are the right-wing justices are the ones engaging in these crimes. It is an oh, but the other justices, no, it's not. It's happening from these six right-wing justices. That's where it's happening from. And then you have the lawlessness of these members of Congress, members like the Jim Jordans and the Kevin McCarthy's and the Gosars and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts, they're all like that right now. And because they wouldn't vote for impeachment, because they are okay with this conduct, 
because you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene comparing Donald Trump to Nelson Mandela and, and Jesus, Jesus this week because yeah, you have Jim hard. Jordan uh, attacking the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and because you have people like James Comer in the Oversight Committee who is fixated on trying to find more Hunter Biden nude photographs. That is what the issue is. It is not a both sides issue. And as I said before, if these issues were put to the people, if the people of the United States of America were able to put nine Supreme Court justices in, again, you would have nine to zero decisions on all of these issues, which are now Democratic fact issues. Not because it's a political thing, but because those issues tend to align with basic humanity and decency and where the people are at. Jobs, education, health care, the right of a woman to control her body, veterans, our military, protecting Social Security, protecting Obamacare, protecting Medicare. I can go on and on, protecting equality. I could go on and on and on, but that's where the American people are. And so, Popak, to your point there, what do we do? We have to continue right now to build systemically these forces of good and truth and this movement the same way that surreptitiously the MAGA Republicans were building this network of evil and bad and destruction from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and they built the Federalist Society. And they engineered this situation and no one really kind of caught on to it until it was too late. Well, we're all, it's not too late though now. We all see what's going on. There's a real opportunity to stop this. That is why what we do here, what the Midas Touch Network does, and I consider when I say we, you, watching this, you listening to this on audio, this is an existential exercise in saving our country, in saving and preserving and protecting our democracy. That's what this is. It's more than a show. It's more than a network. It's not just, oh, it's some sterile network. It's a movement, and it's a movement fueled by you, people who love our democracy, people who love our Constitution, who want to move our country forward, who want to make our country better, who want to stop this idiocracy, this fascism, this hate that is out there that is not both sides. It is clearly identifiable where it is coming from, and it is coming from this sick MAGA Republican movement, this lawlessness that we expose here. Those are the facts. No spin. Those are the facts, folks. Great spending this weekend with you. A historic week indeed. Michael Popak always enjoy hosting these episodes with you, with Karen Friedman Agnifilo in the uh, mid-week. You know, I am I'm comforted that justice arrived this week. I'm comforted that, as your whiteboard suggests, we're going to be seeing more and more of this. And if you go back and you look at all the other legal AFs, though, collectively, you know, you watching this at home, you listening to this wherever you're listening to this, you're watching this, you know that these steps, we've been talking about them for a while, where it's going, why it's going in these directions. 
um, and, 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 and here it is, you know, it's, a, it's now arrived, and we got to deal with all of these other issues the same way we've been talking about Manhattan, the same way we've been talking about Phony Willis and Jack Smith, and collectively, together, you being the most important part of the Midas Touch Network, the movement of the Midas Mighty, of the Legal AFers, is the most important part here. And Popak and I are so grateful for your support. We're so grateful for you. You are all so incredible, and it's just so special to be part of this movement with, with all of you. We love you. So thank you so much for watching. Aww. Until next time, I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. This has been this weekend's edition of Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. toolkit of federal prosecutors and you had this Trump appointed judge Carl Nichols I think this is going to be a theme in this episode because when we talk about the ruling by the Trump judge in Texas who just uh, blocked the FDA's 2000 approval of Mifepristone a Trump appointed judge this is why elections have consequences and by the way, you go back and you look at those debates between Trump and Hillary Clinton, she warned about every one of these things over and over again in those debates. But Popak, you want to walk us through what, why this D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals yeah. ruling was so important. And also the composition of this panel was interesting, though, because it did seem like the Biden judge here, Justice Pan on the Supreme can be uh, overruled if the Department of Justice shows a compelling need and a compelling interest in their criminal investigation. And, of course, they're able to show it there. So it's a real frivolous objection at this point to even assert executive privilege. But going back to what I said before, brick by brick by brick, you have to build these wins in order to get to the place where we are today, where the federal courts just like the Trump. Stop wasting our time. These people got to testify. So just imagine again that you go do trial for everybody who was like, we need to file this case nine months ago. Okay, so you want to go to trial without Pence, without Meadows, without Ratcliffe, without O'Brien, without Miller, without Luna, without McKenzie, without Cuccinelli? Okay, that is the height of prosecutorial malpractice, if that's what you wanted to do. But that is why, look, Legal AF is an important show because... We have to really talk about those types of issues because it's very easy for me to just say to you, yeah, you know, screw it. Garland's taking way too long. Screw it. 
I hate but you. I'm, but what, and, and to some extent, I feel the pain. I, I do. I, I, I wish it went faster. But what Garland had been doing and then what Jack Smith did when he took over is you've got to build these things to where we are today where you can't poke any holes in it because Donald Trump is the ultimate hole poker. And he's got all his people out there trying to poke holes and, and, and do all of that. So this is great, great prosecutorial work. Popak, I want to move on to the next big D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals victory right now. Um, and we talked about this here as well, this obstruction of an official proceeding charge. It is a critical, critical charge in the toolkit of federal prosecutors. And you had this Trump-appointed judge, Carl Nichols. I think this is going to be a theme in this episode, because when we talk about the rulings by the Trump judge in Texas, who just uh, blocked the FDA's 2000 approval of Mifepristone, a Trump-appointed judge. This is why elections have consequences. And by the way, if you go back and you look at those debates between Trump and Hillary Clinton. Revisiting hashtag Trump arrest day. Let's make that holiday. Exclamation point. And Pink House's Trista X. Hashtag John Mellencamp. Exclamation point. What a great episode, comma, Trista, exclamation point. Hey there, Belle, coming back. Beautiful afternoon. Hanging out here with my chickies. And I'm organizing, reorganizing my little space with them. Anyway, so, um, how you guys doing? Thanks for little spike 
there's more um there's more listeners on this podcast now a few a few more which is good for you um there's 117k on my other podcast which i'm gonna get going as well see if it's Oh, it's already going. Hello there, darlings. Shout out to KMP Student Radio at the University of Average Stoner. And KPYT, Bakoyaki, Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. On the rest with Trista Show. Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio. Uh, so um this is uh eight days ago trump finally faces justice in most important legal week yet legal af she warned about every one of these things over and over again in those debates but popak you want to walk us through what why this dc circuit court of appeals ruling was so important and also, the composition of this panel was interesting, though, because it did seem like the Biden judge here, Justice Pan on the Circuit Court of Appeals, got one of the Trump judges, though, to move over into, and a very young Trump judge, one of these really inexperienced oh Trump judges, who's basically like my age, who is, do you think he's two years older than me, who Donald Trump appointed, um, who, by the way, at least I like went to trials like this lawyer. I don't think had any trial experience. You know, he was appointed yeah. by by Donald and he has this position in the D.C. Trump Third Court judge. of Appeals. But Judge Pan, a Biden appointee, like I think happen. moved this judge in the right place. Can you discuss what happened? Yeah, well, let's start at the top um, and, I'll, and we'll talk about that judge, Judge Walker, whose main experience before he took the bench and being appointed by Trump was to be the apologist for. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, when Brett Kavanaugh's candidacy um, uh, was in was taken out a lot of water for sexual assault charges <clears throat> that were being made against him, he went on TV <clears throat> 115 times to defend Brett Kavanaugh. So he's a far right person, but Pan, who's uh, the first um, Asian Pacific woman to ever serve in that position, appointed by Biden, uh, who wrote the majority decision. She, you know, she had to get another vote, and Taxis, who is a right MAGA Trumper, was never going to go her way, so she found a way to thread the needle and get um, Walker to join her. The reason this is so important is because every judge in every judge in the D.C. Uh, circuit that is hearing all of these Jan 6 cases, these 500 or so that are scheduled ultimately either settle by plea or go to trial, every one of them, except for Judge Nichols, has found that the there, there's two giant charges, two big hammers the Department of Justice uses um, in the process that are appropriately charged. One is seditious conspiracy and sedition, and all of the major penalties related to that, but they reserve that for a small group, maybe 15 or 20 total, Why? of the entire 2,000 that attacked the Capitol, who really fit fit the bill, fit the uh, elements of seditious conspiracy. It's the second biggest claim that they use in the appropriate uh, matters is the obstruction of official proceeding 18 U.S.C. 1512 of our code, which really came out of the Enron scandal, but has been applied in all sorts of criminal cases 
if somebody uses obstructive conduct or corruptly obstructs the proceeding, the proceeding being the insurrection, the attack on the Capitol stopped the count of the electoral count and the certification of the electoral count under the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, as we all know well from the Jan 6th and the video, all all members of Congress had to flee for their lives, Republican included, belly crawling, army crawling, to get out of the room, being whisked away by, by whatever was left of the Capitol Police that wasn't fighting on the steps and in the tunnels and in the portico to get them to safety, including Mike Pence who ran off and there's video of all that and Josh Hawley and all of that. Okay, while that was going on, what wasn't going on was the certification of the election at that very moment. And so the Department of Justice and every judge but Judge Nichols agreed. Not only that, there's already been convictions. There's people that have both pled guilty to this charge, which is a 20-year felony, up to 20-year felony conviction, or have had a jury of their peers find that they are they violated the statute so if judge nichols position held and he took a very narrow reading that you and i talked about at the time ben you know eight nine months ago took a very narrow reading that the only way this particular obstruction count could apply is literally if they interfered with the physical ballots like the pieces of paper going into the box being certified and gaveled by by the clerk and by pence that if you're not like getting near or touching, obstructing those ballots, those pieces of paper, then whatever you're doing outside, even though you blew up the room and you stopped the proceeding, that's not going to be obstruction. And that was such a narrow interpretation of what that really said, literally, that we were all scratching our head like, what is he talking about? That can't be the only scenario in which that statute applies. And the three-judge panel, including now Judge Walker, a Trumper who sided with Judge Pan two to one to vote that Nichols was wrong said, look, if you look at the statute, there's three interpretations that are being offered. The government's interpretation, which is the most reasonable one, is that the words on the page say what they mean. They mean what they say. They say that if it's an obstruction, um, obstructive conduct, um, whoever corruptly alters, destroys, mutilates, conceals or otherwise obstructs or impedes any official proceeding. Well, that's easy. The Congress certifying the elections of official proceeding. The actions outside were intended and in fact did stop and impede that proceeding from happening. How else do you explain everybody running and crawling out of that chamber? Okay, so that's that was the DOJ's position. We, we stopped there. Read the language. The, uh, the opponent, the three defendants, all of whom uh, were charged, at least one charge, of actually uh, fighting with and beating Capitol Police. So these, these were the worst of the worst. They said, well, we think it's even, we, we think it has to be like impeding the ballot counting or any other type of counting, any kind of evidence impairment, and there's no evidence impairment. And so the court said, well, I see you're trying to make an evidence impairment or ballot impairment, but that's not what it says. And of those three interpretations, the most reasonable one is the Department of Justice, and that's the one we're going with. Now, look, there was 127 pages, and we're boiling it down to make it sort of interesting, as you can follow here on Legal AF. But the, rea- the result is the following. If they had sided with Nichols, and if this three-judge panel, by majority vote, had ruled that that obstruction count 
for that, that scenario couldn't be used for any Jan 6 prosecution, that not only means future indictments, that means everybody who got convicted of it, or maybe even pled guilty, we'd have to talk about that, would have their, possibly have their convictions vacated and, and uh, maybe a do-over in a trial if there was a trial setting. So it would have been disastrous, apocalyptic results. And the Department of Justice would have lost a giant hammer in their arsenal because we're not done. Everybody forgets it's, we, the first thousand are in. But the Department of Justice has said we're still working round the clock. And Ben, I learned something new from the briefing. Um, maybe we could put the cover of the brief up. There is, under Merrick Garland, a capital siege section that has been created at the Department yeah. of Justice. And the lawyers that argued this right. brief are the chief and capital an attorney for the section. capital siege section of the Department of Justice. That means there's a group of people that all they do morning, noon, and night, from the moment they get up in the morning to the time they hit their, their head on the pillow, is nothing but capital siege investigation, prosecution. And there's another thousand.